Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm Propel. And today on Your Digital Reputation, we're looking at what really is the foundation question. Why should business leaders have a digital presence? It's almost 15 years ago, actually, I remember walking into my very first one-to-one meeting with a CEO to talk about social media. And as I walked into his office and, you know, he got comfortable in his chair, he, he looked at me with what I can probably best describe as a sort of menacing smile. And he said, and I still remember these words, he said, I know you're here to talk to me about social media, so I just want to let you know I don't like it, I don't see any point in it, and I really don't want to waste my time on it but I'm happy to hear what you have to say. Now, I've learned a lot since that initial meeting and the key thing for me has been this. The discussion isn't even about social media. Why business leaders should or shouldn't have a digital presence has nothing to do with the channels themselves. The conversation is really all about your reputation and how much that matters to you. And that's why I'm so thrilled to be joined by someone who I consider a genuine authority on reputation in this market, Oliver Friedman, who's the Senior Vice President at RepTrack here in APAC. And for those who might not know it, RepTrack is the world's leading reputation intelligence platform that helps companies measure how stakeholders feel, think and act towards them. It's, it's really powerful stuff. And given Oliver has essentially two decades of experience across research, measurement and analysis, I'm very keen to pick his brain on today's topic. So, Oliver, thank you for joining Your Digital Reputation. Thank you. Great to be here. And so let's let's dive straight in as we like to do. In your view, why should leaders have a digital presence today? So I'm going to change your question. I know that's the question for today's podcast, but I'm going to change your question a <laughs> little bit. Please do. And I'm going to say, why should business leaders have a presence? Should they be out there? Should they be talking directly? Uh, because my my view is that if the answer to that question is yes, then it must be digital because that's the world that we live in today. Uh, when when I started, and uh, you know, reminded me when you spoke about meeting your first CEO, uh, when I used to speak about CEOs or executives or leaders having a presence in and of themselves, there was a, a, a real negativity towards that. I can't, you know, so many said to me, we don't want a celebrity CEO. We, we don't want that. They're part of the company. They should, we should talk as a company voice. That has changed. That has changed dramatically in the last decade, even more in the last five years, and then during COVID. And why? It's authenticity. It's wanting to hear from the people that have decision-making, the people that sit around the table and decide whether the company will follow plan A or plan B. Uh, And I think from the leader's perspective, it's also changed, that they've seen that when companies suffer reputational challenges, it's the CEO that isn't there the next month or two months later. And so they themselves want to be able to communicate to the public uh, and have that authentic communication. And so my answer is absolutely yes, they should have a presence. Uh, And absolutely, then it has to be digital, because if they're not on the digital uh, media, then many, many Australians or global citizens won't hear them because that's the way that we uh, consume our news and consume our information today. I really like that framing. It's almost by default, isn't it? Exactly. You're not backing people in a corner. You're just helping them realise the connection uh, between having a presence and being online today. Look, and and I appreciate that, um, and perhaps for those who don't or, you know, aren't familiar with RepTrack or don't necessarily know uh, how your intelligence helps, um, 
you don't specifically look at leaders' performance on social media per se, but perhaps it would be helpful to give listeners a quick overview of your reputation drivers mm. and, and where you see the digital activities, the digital presences you're saying of leaders having an impact there. Yeah, look, exactly. So what we've seen over time is that reputation itself is an emotional connection. The level of trust, admiration, respect that individuals have uh, towards a company, towards an organization. Sitting behind that emotional connection are seven key drivers. And I like to break them into two broad groups, what I call the capability of the organization. So it's products, it's services, is it meet customer needs, it's innovation, is it adapting to the, to the changing requirements, and it's financial sustainability. So those three. Then we have the character side. Does it treat its staff well? Does it look after the community? Uh, does it have good conduct, ethical, open, transparent? That's six. What's the seventh? The seventh is leadership. Uh, and why have I left that out? Because leadership has to straddle both of those components. It has to show a level of capability and also a character. And, and what I've seen over the, it makes me feel old, the two decades, but it has been around that. Uh, you know, if we look back to the, let's call it the 90s, who were the CEOs of note, the leaders of note? For the community, it was those that delivered great financial returns. Gary Packer, people went, great leader. Uh, Jack Welsh, if we go overseas in terms of GE, they delivered great financial returns and that was the success, that was the proof of success of a leader. As we moved into the, uh, uh, I guess, the tech area and Jeff Bezos and, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and we move into that whole space, it was not just financial returns, it was great products and services and great innovation. And we saw leaders across Australia talk about customer experience and suddenly they had to deliver not just financials but also customer experience. And then as we've moved into the last decade, as I speak to leaders, I say not only now do you have to deliver great financials, not only do you have to deliver great customer experience, you now also have to deliver character. You need to be seen to help the community, uh, whether it's E or S or G. We can pick the letter, but it's ESG, environment. And they have to be seen to be active in all three of those components. It's a tougher, it's a tougher gig today. Uh, and, uh, you know, one example is, uh, you know, you can't just be great on the character side. Uh, the leader of Danon over in Europe, fantastic work in the environment space. And I'd say the customer experience was pretty good. But he missed his numbers. And guess what? He's no longer CEO at the moment. And so it is the three together uh, that they have to talk about but not just the financials, which traditionally was what they really used to be known for as business leaders. That's a really interesting point I'd like to explore a bit further because, you know, you give an example like Amazon and, and, and Jeff Bezos and that kind of visionary leader. Going back to what you were saying just before and that idea of if, if leaders want to have a presence by default, they need to be digital. Is there a link there also? Am I, am I stretching this perhaps a bit too far? Is there a link also between being a visionary leader requires you to be digital in order to have that platform, to have that scale and access and, and reach an influence? I think, you know, digital allows you, one, it's linked to innovation. You know, it, it, in, in its core, it adapts, it changes. It also gives you an ability to speak directly. Uh, you know, we saw over COVID CEOs trying to use, I'd say, traditional media to get their message out. So full page ads of comments from CEOs of supermarkets. So, I actually felt they were using traditional media but almost using a digital strategy. 
in terms of coming through. And we see a lot of criticism of social media. Uh, if we look at the Edelman Trust Barometer and, you know, uh, I guess lack of trust in it. I guess I question that to a degree because, yes, there's information on there that we may be concerned about. But if it's coming from a trusted source, it's an incredibly good platform. You know, we all check our phones how many times a day and we go to those platforms and they are incredibly functional. Again, when did those platforms last break down? When was the last time you logged onto Facebook and it said, sorry, not working? Uh, we've got a platform. It works most of the time, but I can tell you we don't have billions of users around the world sharing videos and it never buffers. And so I think it, it, is, an, it is an incredible way to get into the homes and into the lives of individuals to share that message unfiltered. The, the drop in reputation of any industry we've seen the biggest drop is media. And part of that is people don't like the filtering of the messages in between. And so social media has the capacity and digital has the capacity to avoid that, for me to hear directly from them and from their words. Uh, same as LinkedIn, by the way. If I'm connected via LinkedIn, I get to see what those leaders say. Uh, and I may like it. They may mess up as well. But it's almost okay because at least I can make a judgment on what they're saying and what they're communicating rather than thinking it's been filtered or changed or altered from when they said it to when it reaches my ears or my eyes. Yeah, I like that. And I also like the reference that you make to, you know, social media as a thing mm -hmm. versus the people that make up our communities. I mean, that's something that I completely agree with you on that we often forget. It's easy to put the label on the, the social media organization, so to speak, and say, well, I don't trust them. Mm -hmm. I don't trust the channel because it's filled with mis or disinformation. But then if you ask people, do you trust the people who you're most closely connected with on any of those social media platforms? The answer is yes, inherently yes. And that's what we're talking about here is, as you say, building close, authentic connections mm -hmm. through your leader's digital presence. So maybe then this is a, a nice opportunity to look at um, uh, you know, some of the research that you have done and continue to do, and particularly the correlations between companies who made some of those major or considerable reputation gains during the, you know, the COVID period, those two years to today, um, and companies who have active leaders themselves. Is there any pattern that you're seeing emerge between those who do step up and speak out uh, in a constructive way online and the reputation of the organisation behind them? Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. We're definitely seeing organisations, uh, you know, I could point to maybe a Telstra or a CBA in terms of having, you know, CEOs who have been vocal, uh, step beyond the traditional financial share market, uh, that they still do that, they still do that very well. But for the broad community, they're looking to hear about actions they're taking in the community beyond that, uh, becoming more visible. Uh, and, you know, that's, it's always a risk. If, as they say, if you put your head up, then uh, people know you and be, people become aware of you. But I think that they have been able to show uh, that human side of, of a leader, of, uh, of caring for the community. And, yes, they've also got shareholders to look after, and not everyone is going to love those organisations. And, look, their reputation still sits in that sort of what I would call the, the average range of our reputation. But we've seen improvements, uh, you know, among both of those, for example. I think also if you look at something like the Woolworths in terms of their visibility prior to COVID, recovering from some of the difficulties of masters and that, that time, uh, becoming more visible and then really being able to communicate during 
incredibly challenging times. Uh, I know we talk at home, we never imagined that there would be shelves empty in a supermarket. We were very spoiled pre-COVID, but being able to get that information out, being able to be nimble, innovate, explain why, you know, there's a, you know, you can only buy two dozen egg this week and next week you can buy as many as you want and we're back on to only two the following week. Really getting that communication and I think coming from that leadership team, I guess one thing that I think we're going to see more and more is an expansion from maybe the CEO into the broader leadership team. I think we're starting to see that with some and I think we will see that more and more, the visibility. And part of that is I think the community want to, they want to trust those sitting around the decision-making. And really, if we think just as you spoke there before around social media, I want to feel I know that person. I want to feel I have a sense of, of who they are. And if the only time I, I see them would be talking to shareholders and talking about the profit of a company, very difficult for individuals to relate. So it really is about that. How, how do I relate to that? And so often, in if I go back five years, I used to hear from their staff, oh, I love our CEO. She's fantastic. She comes around, she chats with us, she you know, walks the floors, helps us out, gives great. And I'm like, the community doesn't know that. The community doesn't see that aspect. And so I think that is where the community is going. There is clearly a breakdown of barriers between individuals that were just, you know, work through their agents or work through their PR companies of saying, I, I want to see who they are and what makes them tick. Uh, and that can be confronting for individuals that traditionally have not, that hasn't been part of their role. It's been to stay quite private. Uh, and I think that's, that's really where, where digital is, is, is moving. And, you know, I think we'll, we'll see leaders do that more and more and share some of their, you know, what their, their personal areas of focus and what really they, they, how they can help the society as a whole. I like that. And I think that, we, as you say, we absolutely are seeing individual examples of that already. And, you know, it's almost, for me, it's almost a logical extension. So as you say, these, these leaders have a perception of being uh, wonderful leaders within the four walls of their company. Great. Why not take that same ethos? Why not take that same persona and, and the, cult, the wider culture of the mm. organisation and amplify it online? And, and you, you know, you look at people like uh, what Andy Penn at Telstra has done, what Shane Elliott at ANZ Bank has done. They are good examples of yeah. celebrating their people and almost having this channel agnostic view, which is, well, if I'm telling you this face-to-face, why wouldn't I sing it from the rooftops on LinkedIn? Because it's a better way to extend and amplify the positivity that we have here, the culture that we have here, and why you'd want to come and work for me. Yeah, and I think it's not, you know, I think sometimes there's a concern of, I, you know, what I'd be viewed as arrogant. And it's, it's not a promotion. You're not trying to sell something. You're trying to really engage and provide, provide information. It was interesting a couple of weeks ago I was asked by a, an organisation to provide some feedback on a range of ideas that they were looking to support. And so sometimes I get asked to do that and I look at the data of where they're strong in a certain driver and which fits with the business. And we went through, I think there were six or seven each individually and provided some feedback. Uh, But I ended by saying, you know, the key thing, your leaders, they need to be passionate about that aspect. They need to feel a connection because if you're supporting cause A, and none of them really doesn't connect with them, that's going to come through. You want your, your leaders to feel passionate about these social programs. Uh, and so, you know, I had a chance to hear Alan Joyce speak about education. He spoke at a, an event I attended. 
And, you know, the passion he spoke about that went back to his childhood. I think he said he was the first in his family that went to a university. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, that passion that comes through when it's personal, it, you can't match it. I actually don't think you can, you, maybe you can teach it, but I don't think it can be taught, and especially on digital. Because digital is, the, the one disadvantage of digital is it's just there. It, I know you can interact, but generally with these business leaders, I don't actually get a chance to ask them the question. It is a bit more one way because it was hard for them to have big Q&A with the whole of Australia and, and take those questions. So it is more where they're putting their message and therefore it's very much around how they give that, how they talk about it, how they share it and it's authenticity. It, it needs to be inside of them and I think that's where the passion comes through and so it's so important that we don't, uh, I guess, put them in and say, right, you need to talk about this topic now. Because if they're not connected, it will come through. And so I think that's where the, the, the alignment between the, what the company is focused on, especially in that citizenship area and what the, the leaders feel passionate about, when that aligns, you, you, you get a real sweet spot for reputation. I think that's spot on. And the authenticity piece, as you say, it's very easy to work out whether a leader is speaking authentically and passionately, as you're mm -hmm. saying, or not, because we all leave digital footprints. We, we talk to our clients about remembering the trail that you've come on. And if you suddenly start talking about an issue that you've never raised before, people will ask questions. Or if, yep. you, if your position suddenly changes without seemingly any reason behind it, people will see that. So I agree with you. Having that authenticity is actually a, fu a, you know, a fundamental risk mitigation practice. Yeah. Uh, but you can't manufacture it, as you say. You can't teach it. So no, I haven't learned how to do that either, Oliver. Uh, now, one of, one of the audiences that I know you talk to regularly is that kind of communications, corporate affairs, mm -hmm. that the reputation stakeholders often within an organisation. Um, and, and they are often the drivers behind these sorts of programs that we're talking about, helping their leaders get out there and, and, and um, sharing the right messages and, and, and reaching the right outcomes that they're trying to with key audiences. So for them, perhaps, how should they be approaching this individual digital opportunity for leaders in amongst everything else they manage? What, what sort of advice would you give to them or what sort of experiences, conversations have you had? I think, obviously, you hope they have a good, close relationship with the leaders themselves. I think get to know them. Uh, you know, I think that's important to understand uh, their, their key areas, their, their, their concerns, make them feel comfortable about sharing some of those aspects. I think it's important that the board feels comfortable if it's a company that, you know, that where, where the board plays a role, that there's sometimes maybe a conservative aspect of how would that work for us as a company if we do build this great, you know, reputation of our leader and then what if the leader's not here in two years, do they take it away? So I think you, you need to make sure all the parties understand what you're doing, what you're not doing. You know, I think we're not asking him to go on Kyle and Jackie O on a, in, in the morning, sorry for the Sydney reference if people are listening around the country, but we're not asking them to do the FM radio thing necessarily. Uh, I think also what they feel comfortable doing as well. There's no point pushing those leaders into a space that they feel really uncomfortable about. It may be something new and something different. Work out a plan, develop a plan, get some experts to help in that space. Uh, and, and I guess work on, on, that, on that progression and, and have an understanding of what you're trying to achieve by it. Because I think that that achievement's important is that it's why are we doing this? 
you know, so whether it's to say we want to increase the, you know, the perceptions of the company in, you know, in the area of being open and transparent, or we're trying to be seen to be more innovative, or what what are we doing here? I think sometimes, you know, it can feel like, oh, you're just putting me out there each time because it seems like a good idea or everybody else is doing it. I think you have to plan for it like you do any other strategy in an organization uh, and then obviously work with that, with, with, that, with that leader and then look to the broader leadership team as well. Where are their opportunities to expand it, especially in our large corporates? They're incredibly large organizations and the second tier of leaders themselves could, in essence, be CEOs at many other organizations. So, What's, you know, what is, what is their opportunity? And again, we go back to that authenticity. If you've got a new, someone new that's come that has been working in another space that hasn't had much to do with a particular cause, as you said, I don't think it's a problem to talk about and say, I'm learning about it. I came from another organization. I haven't had a lot of experience of the work done in this space. I was in another industry. I've learned so much. This is what I've learned in the first three months in my role about this particular cause. And I, you know, hopefully they authentically feel like, wow, I, I, you know, there's so much good work being done here. And I really didn't know that this, the extent of this issue in the population, we can't be expected to know everything. And I think sometimes there's a feeling of I can never show any weakness of not having knowledge. I think when it comes to this area, I actually believe the community really appreciate that. And we saw that during COVID. Everyone was okay with people going, we don't really know how to deal with a pandemic. We're learning as we go, but we're going to keep you updated and we're learning. And then as we learned, we were able to handle situations incredibly well. So I think that to me is, is the way that corporate communications uh, can work with their leadership team in this space. I agree and I, I think that what you said right at the start there about having a close relationship is so key because what you're touching on there around that vulnerability, yes, it's absolutely refreshing, but vulnerability is by nature vulnerable. <laughs> you're exposing things that you perhaps don't feel comfortable with. So to have that close connection means that you can approach these sorts of issues or topics um, and as you said, the fact that you might be going on a learning journey even even with how you write a post um, we know that there's a lot of people who are fearful of doing that. I remember one client a couple of years ago spent I don't know how many hours crafting uh, her first LinkedIn post mm -hmm. only to send it and get a really positive response from people. And she shared with me the 42-odd drafts that she'd <laughs> written prior to that. But it was just about being vulnerable and accepting that it's okay. And, of course, the world didn't end when the post went out. And, yes, there were things that she could have obviously changed, but it was okay. Being okay with being vulnerable, I think, as you say, really drives that authenticity factor home. And, and I think for the corporate communications professionals, they need to also appreciate uh, how nerve-wracking this can be, how risky it can be, and it's not a skill that, you know, they may the, the leaders may have had before. Maybe they've come from a, uh, you know, a, a financial background or they've come from an operations background, and this wasn't something that was part. For the comms professionals, they've been writing releases for 20 years, 30 years. Uh, and it would be a bit like asking a comms professional to go and head up a, you know, a technology briefing and be like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. How do I do this? So I think we have to appreciate that this is asking sometimes leaders to head into a new space. And, you know, we're asking them to do something that's a little bit different. It almost wasn't in the training for the job uh, that, that existed and it's moving and therefore we do need to appreciate it. And if it takes 42 drafts, so it takes 42 drafts. Uh, you know, I don't know how many drafts the AGM speech goes through, but I bet it's 42. So 
you know, we, we do need, we do really need to appreciate that this is something that might be new, might be new for the leaders and it, it, is, it is a journey. And I think the other thing that is important for everybody is criticism doesn't mean that everybody hates it. And I, you know, I speak to some industries and I, I often show a graph uh, for a particular industry where it showed that 90% of Australians are really positive towards this industry and 10% are, are negative. And uh, I always put it up and I say, I bet everybody around this table looks at it and says, how can that be true because of all the negative tweets that we get and all the Facebook posts and all the LinkedIn criticism we get? And I always point out 10% of the adult Australian population is 1.5 million people. That's still a lot of people that didn't like it, don't like that, that industry. But hey, 90%, everyone's happy with 90%. And so the fact is the 90% won't always write a comment. We know that. If we're really happy, we always say, oh, I should let them know I was happy about that. We don't. When we're annoyed, we're straight on, we, we, we send the note. So I think there also has to be an acceptance that if you send out on through digital to tens of thousands of people and you get 15 negative comments, don't, don't focus on those negative. They're probably angry with the company. Maybe there's something that could have been done better, but you, it's never going to be perfect. And we can't, I, I've said from a company perspective for many years, we can't always be quiet to avoid the 15 negative because then the 85 positives don't hear anything and they then get impacted by the negative. So we have to be willing to do that. And yet we'll, we'll have to cope with some of those negative responses. And as long as everybody's updated, informed and knows that's probably going to happen, you can actually move on and continue to build that reputation. Absolutely right. And I do think that that's also, <clears throat> that's also an opportunity for those comms or corporate affairs or reputation advisors to come in and say, even when you do get negative criticism, it could actually be a learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's almost working out how do we separate the trolling from the constructive criticism? Because, you know, as, as one client of ours put it, social media is the only environment where we really hear what people think about us mm -hmm. and why on earth would you not want to hear it? It's a wonderful opportunity to learn and grow from. So Oliver, there's so much in what you shared with us today and I almost don't want to force you to try and, you know, summarise three top tips if you, if you get what I mean. But what would you say if, if someone's listening to this and thinking, okay, I understand my leaders do need to be digital today. It's, it's not a question of if, it's a question of how. Um, if, if that's what they're sitting there thinking, what would your advice be to them? One, two, three key things that they can take away from today, where to start? So I think the first would be, think of those three areas, what I call the, the, the where leaders have to be successful. Financials, uh, capability, which is your product services innovation, and character. And almost think about where they're being successful. I'm going to hope they're being successful in the financial space. Uh, I probably can't help too much in there, but uh, that, that will be covered. They're probably doing an incredible amount in that CX space and innovation. That third component, how are they showing the community that they also have that character side and they're doing that? So that, that would be one. I think two, understand this is probably a new space for them uh, and that it will take some time and understand that, you know, you, you, it, it will be a journey and you're not just going to go from zero to 100 uh, in, in, in that first time. So I think that that's probably the second one is to, to walk them on that journey. Uh, and then the third one is, I guess we spoke about right at the end, just don't be too impacted by some of that negativity and there will be the trolls out there. The, the digital systems and the platforms are fantastic. 
there are downsides to all platforms and all systems of communication. We know the ones here. As long as you know them and you go in with eyes open, and that's not going to drive your, your, your plan going forward and, and say, oh, we can't do that again. I think if you've got those three, that at least uh, you can take those first steps to, uh, to building, that, uh, building that presence. Fantastic. And something that you said earlier too, and, and what I want to reinforce with people as we close is around that idea of we've seen this fundamental shift in, in attitudes around social media be, being a place of egos to being a place of authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I think looking at those examples of authenticity will only encourage more people to consider, well, what can I bring to this discussion? And what voice can I provide into that discussion that will ideally lead to positive outcomes? So Oliver, if people do have questions and encouragements, what, what's the best way to reach you um, online or wherever it might yeah, be? Look, I'm, you know, online, definitely. So www.reptrack.com, uh, R-E-P-T-R-A-K. Uh, or I'm always happy to actually have a call. So I'll give you my mobile over. I know it's not digital, but uh, hey, a phone call's still always good. So 0434 562 623, feel free to uh, give me a call. That is very authentic, handing out your mobile number. Oliver, thank you so much for sharing your insights on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.